0: As we begin, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land this podcast was recorded on for their continuing connection to land, sea, community, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger, and today we're talking about health practitioner well-being in the pandemic era and beyond. The health and well-being of Australia's health practitioners has always been important. But in recent months, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the pressure on health practitioners has increased in different ways. So today's discussion on kindness and practitioner well-being is very salient. In today's episode, we hear from three health practitioners, all advocates for or experts in health practitioner well-being. Our guests today are Margie Stutchberry, Dr. Jane Munro and Dr. Kim Jenkins.
1: I'm Margie and I'm a late career clinical psychologist. I'm heavily involved in the training and supervision of mental health clinicians. And I'm also currently a part of a working party developing resources to support the emotional well-being of healthcare workers.
2: My name's Jane Munro and I the work at the Children's Hospital in Melbourne. I'm head of rheumatology there and I've been really interested for a long time in uh, clinician well-being but particularly in the past couple of years I've been very involved uh, in particular in gathering people and building networks amongst all different types of people that are interested in really looking at how we can transform our healthcare system And this really culminated uh, late last year in Victoria in trying to build a a network. uh, And that was going to really hopefully springboard at the start of 2020. And then with COVID, it has launched a network nationally called Pandemic Kindness, which we might get to talk a bit more about.
3: I'm Kim Jenkins, and I'm a psychiatrist. I am the immediate past president of the College of Psychiatrists, and I'm now chair of the Council of the Presidents of Medical Colleges. But my interest in physician well-being and doctor's health probably really goes back to medical student days when I was involved in a counseling service for for medical students and stressed out um, health practitioners in those days.
0: Let's start with you, Kim. Why is this so important now?
3: Oh, I think there's many factors about that, but. Probably the, the easiest one to say is that, you know, we've never needed our healthcare practitioners to be in good health more than at this, at this time. And in addition to the usual stresses that we all feel as healthcare practitioners, there's a whole load of n- new stresses that people are dealing with as well. Many people in the healthcare professions are already feeling pretty overloaded. And this additional stress, we've got to make sure that it just doesn't sort of tip people over the edge and create more problems for people. Jane, I wonder if you can talk about some of the, the different ways that the pandemic may be impacting on people that you've seen.
2: For me, seeing it through a, a range of different lenses, um, both as a clinician and as a um, healthcare leader in the hospital. Um, in pediatrics, you know, we were expecting, because we had that lead-in in Australia, we could see that anticipation, having seen that come from China for many, you know, several months and that spread throughout Asia and then into Europe. It's given us a real advantage in our preparation, but it has um, given a heightened anxiety and a long lead in time. And then, of course, there was a, a long period of time for um, particularly hospitals where or healthcare settings where people were preparing and In particular, a number of weeks where we weren't sure how that was going to play out in Australia, uh, where was there going to be a tsunami of cases or not, Uh, and people were really using that word and a lot of words around um, war and battle, where people were very scared about their own health, they were worried for their patients, uh, they were worried for their family members. The impact for a lot of people in their home and professional lives has been really huge, and depending on people's um, reserves and where they were at and how they were supported in their workplace, that really had a huge impact.
0: That's a lot of potential stress, Jane. And are you,
1: uh, Margie, are you feeling that too? Nothing like the kind of frontline concerns that Jane's describing, but um, still very. Um, you know, raised level of anxiety generally. And I also think that for some of the younger, new career clinicians, it's been very difficult to deal with people's sort of more or less global anxiety uh, and how to assist people with that. That's been quite a challenge as well.
0: Kim, what other consequences have you seen? For example, you work with many
3: students and junior doctors, yeah. Um exams, of, professional exams have been cancelled, people can't pass through the hurdles that they would normally do in their training trajectory and there's been, as well as all the anxieties around COVID, there's been anxieties around their own careers and what it means and if people have been redeployed to a different um, specialty or a different job from the, what, the rotation they were expecting to be doing then. You know, the question is, well, what does this mean about my graduation date? Do I finish on time? Um, And what does it mean to somebody who has spent, you know, three, four years studying for an exam, and then suddenly that exam doesn't happen? And it's not just work or study issues, is it? With homeschooling kids and juggling the new factors at work and doing everything in a different way or an unforeseen way. The other one I was going to mention here that we're beginning to see, and that's something I think which is a sort of like um, survivor guilt in a way, in that because in Australia, the pandemic hasn't panned out as it has in, say, New York or in London, we've been expecting things to be as bad as they were overseas. But we're dealing with a different sort of anxiety and adjusting to, well, what, what are we, why are we still feeling stressed how can we still be anxious when we haven't got it as bad as, as it is in other places
1: yes and it's almost as though they feel that they're not entitled to feel mm. as bad as they do when they see such greater suffering in some other contexts and I think that also happens between professions mm. so for example you know sitting here as a mental health clinician knowing that Jane and her colleagues are at the front line it, you know, you can feel sort of it's quite difficult to complain about things like a drop in income or, Mm. you know, having to do telehealth. Jane? I
2: do think, though, what has been remarkable, and in fact, it was noted by um, some of the um, psychiatrists that were looking at some of the information coming out of Wuhan and some of the cities in Mm. China was, I, I can see it here, is the positive mental health effects and in fact the sense of community and collaboration Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that there has been some, some positive aspects around um, the community uh, across healthcare working together, uh, including working with, within the whole, of, for example, the, ho- the hospital system, but also within the um, bureaucracy of the government, um, the collaboration of building across um, the country and working together. But internationally, I'm on a number of WhatsApp groups that are across the... Ho- global and the sharing of information, even, you know, overnight last night of people sending information across multiple countries about reports of, of, is there this truth to these children having any of these inflammatory responses and clarifying it and sending updated information? so that we can send that information around Australia and get clarity, it's incredible. And the support that we get to be able to give back to colleagues and check in on colleagues in our specialties that are working in New York or in places that where there's really significant problems in, in Europe and in, in Canada and, and particularly the US is, is a global community that is, has been incredible to see too. Mm.
1: And that's that's fantastic, Margie, here. And I just want to say also that there's been some suggestion that Australia may actually be doing quite well in that particular area in the sense of community response and the banding together. And I wondered whether that is uh, partly due to the fact that this has come on the heel of a very, very significant, Trauma around the catastrophic bushfires that we immediately appreciate and understand the need for community engagement and connection. We were primed in a way. Hmm. So maybe one trauma has prepared
0: us for another. I mean,
3: Kim, do you have any thoughts on how trauma is affecting health practitioners? People may have more direct exposure to traumatic events and may have, you know, discrete. quite well-defined experiences of a trauma that does um, get better and you can deal with, with um, debriefing or connecting with colleagues, some of the things we've been talking about. But other things that happen to us as healthcare practitioners are that we carry a lot of other people's distress, and it's not just the direct stress upon us, what we see ourselves, it's the work that we do um, by treating other people who may be affected by COVID. Then as a healthcare pr- practitioner, looking at how you look after yourself in, at this time, and it's never been more important to have healthy healthcare practitioners, you really need to be addressing both those issues and thinking about, hey, this is my stress, I need to do it. This is a stress that's come to me from my patients and my work. And to have a range of resources open to you. And we've already said that how important connectedness is. And we know that a sense of connectedness is one of the most protective factors. Unfortunately, um, a lot of us in medicine and allied health and nursing and things are quite sort of doing things, sort of people that like to be practical and everything. Mm. And we like to have solutions and answers. to to problems, but at this time of COVID, it's a time of great uncertainty and we don't know what's gonna pan out, we don't know what it's gonna look like and therefore we don't have the answers that usually make us feel safe and secure. And Margie, what about from a psychologist's perspective?
1: Most people come to healthcare work uh, because of the nature of caring. That is the nature of the role of being a healthcare worker. There's some degree of caring involved in it, and many people are attracted to that. And that, while that's a wonderful thing, it is also something that can become a liability, in some ways too. When, um, when you're not able to resolve the problems, as Kim pointed out, that when we're facing something as catastrophic as this, it's not. Fixable in many ways, and so there are challenges to being in that role of caring that are um, perhaps a little bit more impactful on the carers, the healthcare workers. But in another way, I'd like to say also that healthcare workers are also very similar, we're just people like everybody else, and we're just as likely to have pre existing vulnerabilities, we're just as likely to have all the usual problems of human life in our life as well while simultaneously taking on this role of caring for others and so you know it's important to keep in mind as well that um, healthcare workers can be vulnerable too.
3: Just because we're in the middle of a pandemic all these stresses and strains and trials and tribulations of everyday life don't go away and we are that, whatever our role is as healthcare practitioners, remembering that we're human beings as well and we get the same stresses and strains as everybody else. Jane, what do you think are some
0: things that practitioners can focus on to improve their well being now? Thinking
2: about, um, things like sleep, for example, because so many, almost every healthcare worker I spoke to in that first two to four weeks found their sleep was impacted in some way. Mm-hmm. And and particularly when they were, were involved in clinical facing work, the, the worry about PPE for almost everyone, because they were not, we were not sure of, of access uh, and supply in Australia, was a really significant issue. And so, and that's what they found overseas as well. So, Once some of these things were able to settle and communication was better and our leadership and our government and others were able to reassure us across different jurisdictions, that has really assisted. It also reflects Kim's um, comment about the doing. You know, a lot of people needed to do the doing, but um, people were able to have a bit more time to be able to reflect on what were the things that they needed to do for their own coping skills. Um, I think the other thing that I really hope um, that we're going to be able to take out of COVID is that I hope that we can look at transforming our healthcare system around cultural change around clinician wellbeing or staff mm-hmm. wellbeing, not just mm-hmm. clinician and, mm-hmm. and using some literacy around that and getting people to think about accessing um, mental health um, care if they need it but certainly coping skills looking about you know if their sleep isn't good or if they've got needing to look at ways that they manage their anxiety if they you know low level anxiety almost everyone has some aspect around that how do they how do they get tricks around managing that are they exercising have they got good nutrition all of those little tricks and what do we want to take out of COVID that's really good which bits of telehealth might be good for our patients and for us as clinicians what other good things could be good you know for our whole teams how we work in, in our hospitals. And I think for us as healthcare professionals, we should be thinking, what, what has been good for us? Was it that I actually had time to go, because the commute wasn't there every day, that I exercised a whole heap more? Mm. What, what was it? There's a whole lot of people, you know, some that said, I've seen my kids so much more. I've seen them actually, I've done homework with them, you know, mm. and they've, they've actually really enjoyed some of that. I've cooked with my kids. I've done this and that. And th- people that haven't done that thing with their children, for a very long time and have actually loved it and thrived in it. So they're thinking, how can I maintain some of that, that joy and that engagement on the far
3: side of COVID? Kim, do you have any tips? If we have a really, really tough day at work and we go home stressed out, have a few moments and make a distinct transition between the work day and home life. Now that can get a bit challenging if you've been working from home and you've been sort of juggling your kids in between seeing patients on telehealth and all that sort of thing. But if you've been working in a health service to see if you can actually have some way of work is finished, I'm showering, I'm changing, I'm getting out of my scrubs or probably probably in the other order to what I've just given you, but a clear transition between work and, and home So it's really about finding those pandemic-free spaces.
0: Um, Yeah. And, And, Margie, anything from you?
1: Mental health workers. So, you know, so much of your clients' sort of stories and minds and experience occupies your mind, and it's very important to be reflecting on that. But at some point you need to have a way of turning that off at the end of the day. And what Kim's pointing out is so important to actually draw a line that compartmentalises home and work. Very hard to do at the moment when we're Zooming in our bedrooms or living areas, but just Mm -hmm. a simple thing like going for a walk after work or, you know, either walk the dog or something, or if there's a trampoline in the yard, jump on it with the kids, you know, to do something fun, Mm to demarcate that work time and home time. It helps your brain reconfigure so that you can move into a sort of more fun, relatable space and let those other things settle down.
0: Jane, how do you see the new ways of working impacting on your colleagues? For um, a reasonably large group of people,
2: the isolation aspect away from their team and the way that they're working is really difficult. So um, there's a number of people that are thriving being able to work partially from home or at home and, and and zooming in or a little bit in their clinic or in the hospital but there is clearly um, a reasonably large group of people that are really struggling with that um, and first and foremost your GP but there's a lot of supports uh, for doctors mental health and doctors' health services as well as a range of others that could easily help you um, if you're if you're struggling because I think that isolation and the overload or coverload as someone emailed me before, that they were in coverload um, it, it can become really overwhelming and if you're someone that then spirals into um, anxiety around that or real worry and and I I have seen that start to really settle but I have to say two to four weeks ago I had many people that reached out to me from all around Australia and a number of close colleagues that were very distressed and very anxious uh, who had not particularly had that before so I suspect that was very, very
3: widespread. And Kim, what about peer support? Beauty about peer support is it's a preclinical intervention it's it's acting in almost in a preventative way of joining with others connecting with others sharing experiences um and for some people that might be what they need they might need the reassurance that how stressed i'm feeling well that's everybody else is feeling this stressed and my colleague here got through it this way maybe i'll try what they're doing Um, and have their experiences validated by by their peers is really helpful
1: and I would echo that Margie here I would just like to say that um, if you're not part of a peer peer support group have a think about it it can be a really powerful and sometimes long-lasting group of relationships that will sustain you um, in these difficult times and help you also to see the um, hallmarks or notice when you're starting to burn at both ends and Sometimes you need an external voice an objective voice to actually help you see that.
0: And before we go Jane, I wonder if you could tell us something more about pandemic kindness, the movement, the movement that you're leading.
2: We've set set up a national initiative uh, on uh, workforce wellbeing called Pandemic Kindness Movement and it's just being launched uh, in the last week of April, which is really exciting. And it came about only four weeks before that as an idea about how we might be able to work together uh, throughout the COVID pandemic and it's spread across uh, four states and one territory now. Uh, it's being led out of the Agency for Clinical Innovation in New South Wales, and it's really been amazing getting together about 50 different people throughout Australia with expertise in uh, clinician wellbeing. But it's really looking at how we can put a whole lot of resources that are the best ones we can find around the world on one website. It's based on Maslow's hierarchy of need, and we formed six uh, leadership groups uh, based on the five pla- uh, panels, if you like, or the layers of the pyramid of uh, Maslow's, and then one on leadership, because we thought that was really important, and found um, an, uh, an expert group to be led by that leader. And then we're hoping longer term, we'll be putting in some webinars and podcasts, as well as building on all of those initial resources, uh, really trying to design something that will be fantastic at a national level, uh, both in terms of workforce wellbeing being uh, for COVID, but uh, something that's fit for purpose for COVID, but then really looking how we might all then work together nationally on the far side of the pandemic to look towards transforming healthcare. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fantastic initiative longer term.
0: So, Jane, if you could say one thing to health practitioners now, what would it be? Be kind
2: to yourself. Uh, listen to what's going on for yourself and uh, stay safe and look after each other.
0: I would like to thank our guests today. Margie Stutchbury. Jane Monroe. Thank you. And Kim Jenkins. Thanks. Susan. Thank you all. Thanks. Now there were some excellent resources mentioned here that you may want to go look at. I would direct you to the Pandemic Kindness website. The easiest way to find that is to search for Pandemic Kindness. It takes you to the Facebook page or go to the Agency for Clinical Innovations website. That's the Agency for Clinical Innovations website where all these resources are hosted. I really recommend you have a look. If you have any feedback or questions about this podcast, please email communications at opera.gov.au. To hear more of our podcast, please subscribe to Taking Care wherever you get your podcasts or just search for Taking Care on the Opera website. Thanks for listening.